It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 20th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. It is World Refugee Day, a day that gives us the opportunity to show support and solidarity with the millions of people in this world who have been forced to leave the place that they were born in and in many cases take perilous journeys in order to find safety. Last week, up to 600 people went to a watery grave in the Mediterranean. 104 people were rescued, 78 bodies were recovered. The boat had 750 people from Syria, Afghanistan, Egypt and Pakistan on board when it capsized. The scale of death is hard to contemplate. It was the worst tragedy in the Mediterranean in many years, but it was not the first and it won't be the last. People are so desperate to find refuge that they put themselves at great risk, often in overcrowded boats, hoping to get to the other side. But in the last 20 years, some 51,000 people have lost their lives trying to reach Europe. As we mark World Refugee Day, we confront a startling statistic More than 100 million people living in countries rocked by conflict, persecution, anger and climate chaos have been forced to flee their homes. These are not numbers on a page. These are individual women, children and men making difficult journeys, often facing violence, exploitation, discrimination and abuse. This day reminds us of our duty to protect and support refugees and our obligation to open more avenues of support. These include solutions to resettle refugees and to help them rebuild their lives in dignity. We need greater international support for host countries, as called by the Global Compact for Refugees, to boost access to quality education, decent work, health care, housing and social protection. And we need much stronger political will to make peace so refugees can return safely to their homes. This year's theme is Hope Away From Home. I call on the world to harness the hope that refugees carry in their hearts. Let's match their courage with the opportunities they need every step of the way. 
The Secretary General of uh, the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, there. Let's speak uh, to Nick Henderson, the CEO of uh, the Irish Refugee Council. Good morning to you, Nick, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm flabbergasted to listen to Antonio Guterres uh, and him speak about 100 million refugees in the world. It really is an incredible statistic. As he said, there's real people behind that statistic. Who are those people? Where are they coming from? And why are they on the move in such great numbers? Yeah, it's a huge statistic. And as you say, behind such a big number, there's many people, individuals, people, children, mums, dads, um, who are in a situation where they have had to take the step of walking out of their home, uh, leaving the refugee camp that they've been in, and to move to try to be safe. The, the world is seeing an increase in conflict, uh, and that can be for, 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 it's for many different reasons, but I, I think there's various things got emerging. Uh, there is the growth of authoritarianism. Uh, there is the growth of instability caused by climate change, um, which uh, can affect people directly through things like famine, but also can bring political instability. We've seen that in the Horn of Africa, for example. Uh, And then more closer to home, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine last year obviously resulted in a very large number of people from Ukraine having to to leave that country. Uh, So it it is a very, very big figure. It's almost overwhelming, I think, to Mm. your listeners and to us. 20 times the population of Ireland. Yeah, it's huge. Um, It's huge. And I think it's, I suppose it it is worth remembering. um, And the last year has not been easy in Ireland. There's been a lot of uh, positive things that have been achieved. It's not been easy, but it is worth remembering that there are other countries, the majority of which are outside of Europe, the vast majority of which are much, much poorer than uh, European countries, particularly Ireland, which are hosting the, the, the vast number of refugees, be that uh, Turkey mm. or Lebanon, which is hosting refugees from Syria, or uh, Pakistan, for example, hosting refugees from Afghanistan, and then um, various co- countries in Africa, uh, including Uganda, for example, hosting refugees from elsewhere in Africa. Um, so it may feel like, and as you said at the top of your piece, what happened in the Mediterranean last week was horrifying, and it may feel that there a, a large everybody would like to come to Europe, but really everybody in this situation is trying to get out of their country or move within their country to be safe and the vast vast majority of people do stay in the in the in the region that they are in mm. in the way that people don't want to leave the home that they're in listening to us uh, this morning nobody wants that journey nobody wants to get it on a, a, a boat if the water you're about to sail on ends up being your grave yeah it's it, it is I think last week's um, loss of life, I, I captured Europe's attention maybe unlike it, uh, previous losses of life. Uh, Sally Hayden's book, um, which I think we've spoken about before, is, is an essential read on this, but just the image of the boat being so um, full of people and the idea that there were maybe more than 100 people, 100 children, excuse me, below deck and that the the door was locked by whoever was controlling the boat. Uh, And the idea of children being in that situation, realizing 
that they the boat was becoming unstable and gradual and capsized and then sunk that should is something that is horrifying but i suppose we should hold it in our minds um and we should be we should be doing everything we can to make sure this doesn't happen again it's pretty clear from reading the the media over the weekend that something went very badly wrong in terms of the greek coast guard and frontex knowing that the boat was unstable um, but not step and could see the boat was unstable because they were visually in the area. They could see it and they had the aerial pictures, but they didn't take the step of actually going to the boat to help people. Okay, uh, President Michael D. Higgins uh, has issued a statement to coincide uh, with uh, World Refugee Day today. He said, as the United Nations requests us, it is important for us all to have in our minds on World Refugee Day the incredible plight which so many of uh, the displaced and migrants are, are currently placed. He also said we must be grateful to courageous journalists such as Sally Hayden, who have stayed with the issue and continue to remind us that we must respond Uh, And in response to the Secretary General of uh, the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, who we heard uh, a a moment ago saying that the time has come for us each to put our best foot forward, President Higgins suggests that a a funding model would be put in place uh, similar to the IMF and the World Bank and different development banks, he says, coming together to create a fund that could deliver in in anticipated places of migrantist interest a a set of structures so that uh, you wouldn't have the Irish government, for example, needing to pay over one and a half million because it it says it can't take people in. Either the structures would be put in place here or in Greece in in lieu of that. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, And I'd imagine, I haven't seen that piece yet, but I I will read it, but I'd imagine he's also thinking of, of situations outside of Europe uh, as I say, the, the vast, vast majority of people seeking protection are, are outside of Europe, and Europe is a relatively, well, not relatively, it's a, it's a plainly a wealthy place, uh, and, and we can and we should be able to do much better in how we, we treat and support people. Uh, I think in the Netherlands, and we may have spoken about this in the Netherlands, uh, around last year, Medicine Sans Frontieres, Doctors Without Borders, were called in to support people in reception centres there, the Netherlands being one of the richest countries in, in Europe. Um, you know, I, I think as several commentators observed, is it really necessary? Surely we can be doing this on our own. Europe can and should be able to look after our situation with our own resources and assisting countries outside of Europe to support and welcome people. Um, there's no doubt that there's a huge uh, pressure, uh, particularly on Italy, um, That being said, the number of people crossing the Mediterranean has declined um, since its peak in 2016 and 2015. Um, So we do need to be supporting those states on the the southern European states. But I I, I think there's a risk that we say we become too Eurocentric and suggest that this is something that is just affecting us uh, and and we should be focusing ourselves uh, on the situation here in Ireland and in Europe, but Mm. also more broadly as well. 
Uh, I was speaking with the um, Central Statistics Office last week uh, about uh, the 85,000 people who were born in Ukraine and have now made this country their home uh, and uh, indeed uh, how that group of people breaks down. Very interesting research again from the CSO uh, but a a lot of talent uh, amongst uh, the people who have come here, an awful lot of uh, professionals. Uh, from Ukraine now living in Ireland if uh, we decide to tap into that talent. Uh, But it it appears as though more Ukrainians are going to come. Uh, I think uh, last week or the week before, 600 came over the course of of a week and uh, those numbers added very quickly over the course of a a year. And because of the attack on the dam and uh, the thousands of people who were without homes and water and so on, uh, I think uh, more people are expected than would have been uh, the case before. A new appeal is uh, being made, uh, a roadshow, in fact, going out to talk to people, uh, hoping that they... Uh, would uh, convince people of the benefits of hosting Ukrainian refugees. There continues to be this uh, accommodation crisis. Yeah, very much so. I think what happened uh, with the dam uh, breaking through, being bombed or being blown up, uh, caused uh, a significant instability in in the east of the country where the war is already being focused. Uh, and speaking to colleagues in our organization who are from Ukraine, they said that they thought that this would result in an increase of people leaving uh, the east or the part where it's particularly affected and coming to to, to elsewhere in Europe, including Ireland. Uh, the number of people in employment, I think, is from Ukraine is really one of our success stories, um, as well as the number of children who have who are in education here um, and a huge amount of been work has done, been done by schools across the country to welcome people which is something to be celebrated I think this, I'm just looking at the, the CSO statistics which are really detailed as you say, really great resource and I think there's something like 21,000 um, people from Ukraine in employment um, which is a, probably one of the highest figures across Europe I would take a guess at and I know that the number of kids from Ukraine in school in Ireland is almost the highest in across Europe. So two things to celebrate yeah. there. But as you say, uh, we are very, very much still reliant on hospitality accommodation, in other words, hotels or similar for people from Ukraine. And it, as if the war continues to grind on, um, and it, we're in the middle of summer now, but it won't be too long before winter or autumn comes and then winter. I think it is likely that there'll be steady, maybe drop slightly, but a steady flow of people coming from Ukraine, not just to Ireland, but across to Europe. So it's really important. And we've said this to government and we've spoken about this for the last year and a half mm-hmm. since the outbreak of the war, that they try and create medium and long-term accommodation and people are, are, are not in hotels. Being stuck in a hotel is no good for anyone in the long mm. term. It's not good for the people in it. It's not good for the local community and it's not good for down, downstream businesses. And we know why people are, are coming from Ukraine. Uh, it's impossible not to know. Uh, we watch it every single day and we've been doing so uh, for well over a, a year at uh, this stage uh, and who would want to live like that and it's understandable that people flee Ukraine and they come here and that they're welcomed here but what about these other people why are they fleeing the places they were born in 
Yeah, there's there's a variety of reasons, and I think it's worth just going back to the original mm. definition of a refugee, which is that uh, a refugee is someone who has a well-founded fear of persecution on account of five reasons, and that's political opinion, uh, your race, uh, your religion, uh, your nationality or particular, particular social group. In our experience, and we're actually... Uh, 30 years doing this work. We're having an event this evening where we'll celebrate our work for the last 30 years. But in our experience, people are predominantly fleeing because of political reasons. Um, not necessarily that they have a political opinion, but because of their um, because of their background, they're deemed, or their association, or their family association, they're deemed to have a political opinion uh, because of their race, yeah. uh, because of their ethnicity within a particular country. Yeah. Um, We've seen a huge amount of instability in countries across uh, the world as, as we began at the top of the piece, particularly, say, for example, from Afghanistan. There are quite significant numbers of mm. people applying for asylum in Europe at the moment from Afghanistan, and that all flows back to the, to the, to, to the Taliban taking mm. over Kabul, and now the Taliban are in nearly complete control of all of Afghanistan. Yeah, and if they thought you had been friendly with the Americans or working for them or yeah. translating for them, you're a dead man. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. Uh, so it, you're, you're a dead man in Uganda, aren't you? <laughs> if uh, you're a practicing homosexual, uh, they've uh, just introduced uh, the death penalty there. Yeah. So there's still um, large numbers of people. Um, sorry, there, Michael. My yep, uh, the sure. line broke up. I'm back with you. Um, so again, yeah. So we would have be supporting in our organization people who are uh, of an LGBT background, mm. people who've been persecuted because of their sexuality, um, huge stigma associated with being um, from an LGBT background in some countries, not just in African countries, including Iran, for example. Um, so there's, all, there's a broad spectrum of reasons. Uh, and it's not easy to be recognized as a refugee. It's worth emphasizing that. I think the recognition rate at first instance, so your first decision was 30%. So that means 30% of applications were successful. Three in, uh, three in 10 people would be given refugee status. Mm. Um, maybe another uh, 5% would receive what's called subsidiary protection, which is where you'd be fleeing war, civil war, for example. Mm. And then another 30% of people being recognized uh, at appeal stage. So it's not an easy process. It's, it's, it's important to emphasize mm. that. Uh, you, you have significant hurdles to, to overcome. And it's also, I wouldn't say necessarily an adver adversarial process, but mm. there is the, the, the government make it very clear that the responsibility is on the individual to show why they're a refugee. And that's why things like legal advice, information, mm. support are so, so needed. I can't imagine being one of those individuals to be a refugee, uh, possibly to have taken one of uh, those dodgy trips uh, across the Mediterranean and end up here or wherever they end up uh, and then uh, to be housed the way they are, to be treated the way they are. But it's better than uh, the life that they're leaving behind and the danger that they're leaving behind, uh, which is quite often uh, the case. I uh, was reading uh, the findings of a, a new protection brief from uh, the UN Refugee Agency, the UNHCR, that says civilians in Sudan continue to face a, a litany of human rights violation, abuses and sexual violence, uh, where they're at risk of attack, being killed, injured, assaulted uh, and robbed. Uh, this is commonplace uh, and it spreads 
spreads over to neighbouring Chad, Central Africa, Republican, Egypt, South Sudan, uh, and they've been reporting horrific ordeals that are faced by women in and girls in Sudan, shocking incidents of sexual violence, including rape, sexual assault, sexual exploitation and physical violence reported by women and girls, but not just women and girls. Boys and men are also reported to be among survivors. Yeah, and I think that the Sudan situation is a good example of how difficult it is to leave, um, even to get out of Khartoum. Um, I was speaking to somebody at the weekend, for example, who was talking about uh, a couple that they knew in Sudan and just trying to get out of the city uh, to travel to, I think it's Port Sudan, to then get a, uh, and that would be a long, it's a long journey, hours to get there and then get some sort of boat out of Sudan uh, to a neighbouring country, very risky. Uh, probably quite expensive, um, and huge amounts of instability. So it's an, it's a good example of what we were talking about earlier about how um, difficult it is to try and um, take those steps of leaving the place where you, you leaving your home, um, mm. uh, and, and that the risks that people are, are exposed to during that journey, and that could be from leaving the neighbourhood that you're in, from having to take a, a truck across the country, police checkpoints, army, uh, militia activity, and then trying to, to, to organise and get out of the country. You, you may not have a passport, you may have left, your passport may have been taken from you. And that, so, so that there's, a, there's a very perilous journey from, the, from that first moment of leaving uh, to travelling through the country and and, and, and then if somebody can get to North Africa, then taking that, that most perilous step uh, across uh, to try and cross the Mediterranean, which, we, as we've spoken about, can be so dangerous mm. and which resulted in that horrific loss of life last week. Okay. It certainly is a, a big bad world and uh, incredible to think uh, that there's a hundred million refugees in the world. But thank you indeed uh, for marking World Refugee Day with us uh, and uh, expressing solidarity with all of those people, Nick. Nick Henderson is CEO of the Irish Refugee Council. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard about it at this stage, a a group of uh, people concerned about uh, the amount of seagulls and uh, the nuisance that they bring with them in Drogheda have called a public meeting to take place on Monday at next week in the D Hotel at 7 o'clock. Frank Godfrey, former mayor of uh, Drogheda, is one of the organisers. Good morning to you, Frank, and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Drada. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice. Uh, a long time yeah, since you've all these years. <laughs> Indeed, a long time since you've been on the programme. Good to hear from you. Uh, yeah. Although I'm not sure I like what you're saying. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of seagulls. What's the problem, Frank? Well, there's a major problem that's not going to go away. Uh, many issues uh, in the Drogheda uh, particular area in the town centre. Uh, uh, seagulls are causing um, havoc, and um, ah, they are, they are, they are a, a big issue. There's an, there has been an invasion of, of uh, seagulls over the last number of years, and uh, uh, many complaints uh, with regards to 
their aggressive uh, attitude, and, uh, uh, um, and, and and they can be where they can be uh, cause lots of uh, issues and problems for people in housing estates. Uh, uh, they don't um, cause in, problems at all, Frank. Sure, well, they're only, go, they're you're, only you're going, you're going to You're going to hear some of them now because uh, in one case... This, the is, the, this, is, this is the cranks in Drogheda, is it? Well, it, whatever you want to call the, uh, the, the, the cranks or whatever, but it's not fake news. This is yeah. really happening. Okay. In one case, a family was driven out of the home because of... Uh, these big birds and uh, in money more there's an issue there where people can't sleep at night because of of seagulls on the rooftops uh, 24/7 the only sleep I tell, for I, two tell, hours, I, by I, the way. I I had that I had that problem myself I I just to just if I can I'll give you a solution to that I get a small fan in the room uh, and I don't know if it'll do it well, for it, everybody it, it, but it's all, it's a, it's a, well, well, well you buy you buy a small fan for about 7 or 8 euro uh, yeah. 50 in, mm. in Peter Street um, uh, heard a clapping of wings yeah. and looked up and next thing she uh, I won't say uh, it was like a pancake in her face it was described to me and that's by a journalist by the way that's mm. not by what they told me that another a well-known photographer in the drawn area has but sure that's a, a good nice, luck Frank ice cream, an ice cream snatched out of his hand another lady that was eating outside a restaurant uh, again had problems with food that they came down and it was like a big dog with wings she described to me mm. uh, and it was it was very very frightful God they and really they, are very cranky people the, yeah. around the Bally McKenney school there's big issues yeah. at, the, at, the, at the playground at St Dominic and that's Park. the kids leaving crumbs here and there. there yeah and they're leaving bits of food around the place no doubt yeah, God they're yeah, awful they, cranky and drawhead aren't they Frank well, I wouldn't say that. Like people, uh, you know, should be allowed to to the peace and tranquility in the. And what about the seagulls? What about the seagulls? They, what do you want to do with them? Well, listen. Already, business people are putting netting on the on the rooftops. They're putting spikes. Mm. Uh, they're putting all sorts of. Uh, oh, I know. In the retail park, uh, they've birds of prey on tape, uh, which are playing. Um, so yeah, that you're the, being positive, yeah. Uh, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. um, but but did you ever stop a, and watch a seagull fly? Do you know they can fly? Do you know they can fly up to thirty kilometers an hour? They're fantastic creatures. They barely flap their wings. They glide. I, They're beautiful I have no birds. Uh, and I agree, but there are other territory in, in towns and cities around Ireland. Yeah, and whose and, fault and is sea, that? The sea, the sea is the place for them. I love the birds, but they're crossing, they're a nuisance. And well, we've created the nuisance. We're the ones who... How did we create, create they, they came in from the sea. Yeah. They weren't able to get... Uh, the trawlers used to throw out uh, fish and all that yeah. to them over the years. They discovered landfill. Four years four uh, um, days a week, I should say. Yeah, they uh, discovered landfill sites, Frank. Uh, sorry? They discovered landfill sites. Uh, that's why seagulls moved into towns. Uh, no, but no, I, initially I though, because they couldn't get fish at sea. The place for them is at sea. And um, as I said, the Lourdes Hospital, the Medical Mystery Mary Convent go up there, the Valley McKenney School. All these areas are affected by it. And nobody is doing anything about it. The council not doing anything about it. The Minister for Marine is doing nothing about but it. But everybody in Drogheda is doing... Everybody in Drogheda is doing something about it. It's the same in every town across the country, in Dundalk, in Navin, in RD, in Kells. If you have seagulls, it's because you're feeding them. Yeah, but that's not the issue. It the is issue the issue. Is, the issue no, is that people are feeding so them. If the bins were collected 
as they are in Dundalk three or four, three times uh, or four times a week, and the, the streets are kept clean. The mess is left after the goes, This is not a, an Irish joke. This is who, serious, uh, and we have who to get dirties the streets, and, and we have to who dirties do the streets. It. It's not about rubbish. It's about no. It's the, about the, food. No, it's not about food. You're well, sure the seagulls wouldn't be here if they didn't have food. That's, that's causing serious uh, health issues. And uh, they're, they're, uh, they're not causing health issues, for God's sake, Frank. What health, what health issues course, are they causing? Of course you are. If you see what's left behind and around the place, uh, in, in Dyer Street, one man told me that his window was open and... Uh, um, a seagull came in and wrecked the, the, his apartment. Hmm. So these are all stories I hear. But you sure, that, that's a rare thing. I mean, God almighty, did you never have a bird up your chimney um, or, or something I like that? I mean, these things yes, happen. I mean, that's because we're sharing the world together. If a bird goes indoors, it, it gets confused. Well, you, you don't mind me asking, Mike, have you any seagulls in your chimney top? Oh, yeah, yeah. You have now at the moment? Yeah. So you're living with them. Well, that's fair enough. You, you don't have a problem. But a lot of people do have problems because they keep them awake. Oh, no, I told you. I told. I was trying to tell you. They kept me awake. I, I spent a couple of years uh, not being able to sleep. The, the starlings were as bad, by the way. Seagulls and starlings. And I thought, what can I do? And I bought a fan. It's the most simple solution. Uh, it drowns out all of that noise. Uh, and uh, because you've got this constant hum in the room, uh, you sleep through whatever noise there is. So you're telling me you're, in, you're for the seagulls in, in, in Drogheda? I'm completely seagulls. for the seagulls all over the country yeah. and in every corner. I, I think that we should do something about littering. Uh, I think I should uh, adopt a seagull. I, I, if I if I could if I could um, yeah. but they're beautiful birds Frank I, I, I have no problems I'm sympathetic to all forms of animal life I had hens and all sorts of animals here on boards over the years and I'll tell you what I, I just love them and I hate to talk of it but if it comes to the stage now that they have to be culled oh but you can't do that you can't do that sure they're protected uh... oh, they're protected I'm well aware of that they are protected and uh, um, uh, under the national and European wildlife legislation, yeah. And but they are aggressive and they are a nuisance, and nobody's doing anything about it. You you might find no problems with them. They're scavengers, and they are looking for bins, they're looking for food, and mm. people are feeding them in the states. Uh, people, yeah. Are, you see, are, you are see people, you see people the, thrown out. out. Lots of bread and different uh, out on gr- on greens uh, and that sort of thing. Of course, they're going to have seagulls. It's a free yeah, lunch. They, I mean, yeah, we don't need thousands of seagulls in the town invading the but town. Then, coming down but you don't need to town. kill them. You don't need to kill beautiful. Well, there, well, there some some solution will have to be, and it's a, it's a matter for the government who have been uh, um, doing very little, in, uh, haven't been active at all. I don't know about the council. I don't see anything other than don't feed, feed them. And now they're blaming the bins. It was, the, you know, we had somebody on the, on the radio recently and they said the bins was the problem food out and all that. People are feeding them. Do you feed the se- seagulls? No, I don't feed the seagulls, no. No, but that's the problem. A lot of people. I have. I must. I must. I must admit. I must. Okay, but I must admit, Frank, I have fed the seagulls. Now, I don't mean leaving food out for them, uh, but. Uh, okay. I've stood at a height uh, uh, with uh, yeah. biscuits in my hand uh, and waited for them to come to eat the biscuit out of my hand. And I tell you, there is no better thrill than a seagull 
illegal eating from your hand. It is fantastic. <laughs> Maybe you should set up a business with that sort of business to all in that case, if, if, it's, if it's like that. But anyway, no. Well, I tell you, there'll be no culling of the seagulls uh, as far as I'm concerned. You'll have to call me before you get to the seagulls. Well, no, no. Uh, uh, it's a last resort because uh, in a, in, there's no action on this, on this issue at all around the, this Nick of the, the woods. Well, it's e- it, it's easily tackled. Don't feed the seagulls. Don't yeah. throw don't throw your bag of chips uh, on the ground when you're on the way home uh, on a Friday night, locked out of your mind, or uh, don't 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 um, uh, put um, bins uh, rubbish into bins if the bin is too yeah. full for the rubbish, uh, and and appreciate what nature has given you. One of the most beautiful creatures you'll ever come across. One of the most smartest, I, 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 one of I the most to, smartest I have, creatures. I have, to, I have to agree with you. They are a, a wonderful, beautiful bird. Oh, watching it, them glide, it, Frank. Watching the them glide. They don't even flap have, their wings. The people of Draw have a gut full of uh, the seagulls in, in ah, the Actually, they're cranks. And, they're no, cranks. Well, uh, you can't say all the people are cranks. Actually, if they're giving out about seagulls... No, not all... Not, no, I'm not saying all of the people are cranks. I'm saying all of the people who give out about seagulls are just cranks. Could, could, sure, they've nothing I, better I, to be I, doing I, than giving out about seagulls, for God's sake. I put something to you, Mike? Um, yeah. And uh, uh, they call deers in the Dowd and Townley Hall area on a regular basis. Are you aware of that? And I think I they have government Department of Agriculture approval. Uh, they, they they do that on a regular. You don't probably even know that. I do know I, that, I, and I, I don't like that. But they aren't a protected species. There is a difference. They're not a protected species. Uh, uh, the seagull is, uh, and I, yeah, I can't say I approve of it, but I, I, I understand that that does happen. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Mm. But the thing about it is that we have to do something. Uh, we have to come up with solutions, and maybe. A, a, a contraception pill or something on a, on a light or no uh, might be the solution to the problem mm. in uh, draw the uh, seagulls because um, maybe it could, the pill could be put in the food and they, uh, that could be uh, solved the issue, you know? Okay. And, uh, with regards to reducing the population mm. of, of seagulls. Well, there probably are ways of reducing the population. I mean, I'm sure you could put something on rooftops to stop them uh, from nesting, are, which is they what are, they're doing. They're, at Harvey Norman, the, yeah, uh, the retail uh, park, yeah. They have bleepers on it. But what do you say to Well, it's, bir- it's, it's birds of prey, I think, that they have uh, uh, recorded on a loop, uh, which will stop them. Uh, and there probably are things. But the biggest, the biggest uh, yeah. reason for seagulls being in a town is that there's food available for them. So if people are fed up with seagulls, stop leaving food. It's a bit like leaving crumbs around the house. And don't be surprised yeah, yeah. if you get mice, you know. Yes, I know that. And I, and I know people love uh, feeding the, the, all sorts of, sorts of birds. I saw a man, I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw a man feeding, I saw a man feeding seagulls and crows yesterday, uh, a workman, he was sitting beside his van and he was throwing out crumbs uh, and the seagulls and the crows uh, were a bit suspicious uh, and got very close uh, but didn't get much to eat I imagine after he went uh, they ate some of the crumbs uh, but people do enjoy they enjoy getting close to nature yes I, I of course uh, some people do not everybody every, uh, you know everybody has their own agenda everybody does different things in different ways and they have a love for this board or that animal or the other yeah. and uh, um, the thing about it is uh, something has to be done 
with regards to the, the, how many of them are here uh, because they are causing havoc uh, on cars, rooftops, alleyways. Okay. The footpaths Frank, of God are absolutely Frank, destroyed. Frank, and, I have to stop you because I'm out of time. I'll just before I, I say good morning to you, a load of messages coming in in support of you. And just to mention two people, if they want to meet with you and the group well, on Monday next week at 7 o'clock in the D Hotel. 7 to 9, and there'll be more than welcome to discuss the uh, ongoing okay. issue. Frank, it's great to talk to you, Frank. I'm sorry I'm out of time. Great to talk to you, as I say. And thanks. I wish you well. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much indeed. Frank Godfrey there. Michael Reed on LMFM. And Betty Daly says, Good morning, Michael. It's bad enough the Gurriers being overbearing. Them seagulls must be from the south side of Dublin. Aha, says Betty Daly, who I think is a Malahide and should be used to seagulls at this stage. Typical North Sider guff. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Betty. Uh, Paddy D- Duffy says, by any chance, uh, could it be a- a- an albatross uh, instead of a seagull or albatrosses instead of seagulls? Uh, Eric says, uh, concerning uh, the hungry seagulls, we should be privileged to have them live and let live, says Eric. So many messages have come to us uh, about uh, the seagulls. Jean says, I agree with Frank Godfrey. They should be out at sea. The people of Ballsgrove are feeding them and the people in St. Finian's Park. They're a nuisance. You can't even eat a bag of chips and they're down on top of you they should be called okay uh, you want us to call the people in St Finian's Park is it and the people in Ballsgrove Jean or is it the seagulls <laughs> I think the reason the seagulls are there is because your neighbours are, are feeding them uh, James Andrade says seagulls are a protected bird and it's against the law to feed a protected bird Congratulations, Michael. You're not a criminal. <laughs> oh, God. Is it really illegal to feed seagulls? I didn't know that. Um, but it really is a thrill to have the meat out of your hand. Uh, seagulls are great at getting rid of rats, says John Harmon. Thank you, John. Uh, Mary says, you're right, Michael. The starlings are a much bigger pest than the seagulls get a fan. I'm telling you, it does wonders. I had years of sleepless nights, as they'll testify to you in here when I came in pale face going oh god I didn't sleep again until I, I bought a fan um, somebody else says uh, when it comes to the seagulls in Balbriggan the town is overrun with them uh, their young are starting to fly and if on the ground uh, you, if you walk anywhere near them the adult bird will and does attack you well they're protecting their young I suppose uh, that's the way if they think you're going to uh, threaten or kill one of their children they're going to protect them uh, some uh, the caller says I've seen one of uh, I saw one uh, man having to go to the doctor with blood running down his face from a head wound they are vermin Thank you indeed. Strong thoughts, uh, no doubt about it. Many of them will come to more of uh, those comments later in the programme. 0419832000 if you want to comment. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you heard in the bulletin, record numbers of people turned to to women's aid last year. That's over the 50 years that women's aid has been offering support to victims of uh, domestic violence. 31,229 contacts with uh, the organisation over the course of uh, the 12 months. Ivan Ward, Services Manager with Women's Aid, joins us now. Uh, a very good morning to you, Ivan. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, is it good 
or is it a, a bad thing that you're seeing an increase in the number of people who are contacting you? Does it necessarily mean that more people are subjected to violence in their home? No, uh, I think what it shows us is that um, there's more general awareness in society of domestic violence and there's more awareness around the services that are available to women uh, and more women coming forward seeking support uh, and seeking legal recourse for the domestic violence they're being uh, subjected to. Um, So not necessarily a bad thing, Mike. um, We want to see women coming forward and seeking support, but we also know that the, the services and the resources, the adequate resources need to be in place Uh, to meet the needs of these women. Not all of uh, the women who contact you are in grave danger, uh, but uh, there are some very serious cases and indeed 12 women died last year violently. Yes, indeed. And and, and every woman who seeks the support of of our services and all domestic violence services um, as a first has her, her, her risk and her safety assessed. Uh, and safety planning is a huge part of the work that we do in, in terms of our frontline services. Um, but we also know um, that women who present to our services, uh, some are at very high risk uh, of serious harm or even death. Um, and we know that the death of even one woman is one death too many. Um, and that's why we encourage women to come forward to seek support uh, and seek the support not just of, of our, our, our service, the domestic violence services, but also of the law, of courts, uh, and the support of the Gardaí uh, also is, is fundamental to protecting their safety. Uh, there was a, a traditional uh, perception of domestic violence. Uh, she walked into doors, she was black and blue. Uh, but do you think that people are understanding that violence uh, can take many forms and abuse takes many forms? Uh, it's not always physical, is it? No, it's not, Mike. Um, we know, and, and, and you know, we've, we've, we've recent laws in 2019, our Domestic Violence Act recognises the, the crime of coercive control, um, which is very much around uh, kind of a pattern of abusive behaviours, uh, which of course can include uh, physical violence and sexual violence, um, but maybe um, just prolonged emotional abuse, economic abuse, uh, and, and extreme isolation of the victim. Okay. Um, Quite often you hear him, and it's quite often him who is uh, the perpetrator, that he apologises and says, it'll never happen again. Um, Does does it tend to happen again if somebody is physically violent against their partner? Well, I think that, you know, um, our experience with, with over 50 years, almost 50 years experience supporting women, um, and unfortunately where there are patterns of abusive behaviour, um, they don't tend to be one-off and they do tend to be, um, you know, perpetrated against a woman over, over significant periods of time, sometimes years and years. Um, mm. And unfortunately, although there is more awareness and societal awareness and, and people in general know about domestic violence, there is still a lot of, of shame and stigma, um, which does stop. We know victims from coming forward, <clears throat> so it's very important. And you know, having you know media and you know social discourse around domestic violence and opening it up so that women aren't afraid to come forward, and that shame and stigma uh, is lifted to allow them 
uh, seek support uh, from services. Mm. I'm sure everybody's story is different uh, and I, I know that you've published many of uh, the stories and some of them are quite yeah. harrowing for that matter, Ivan. Yeah. Uh, but uh, is, is there a general pattern of how things escalate over a period of time that perhaps it, it starts with what you're wearing or who are you uh, talking to uh, on the internet? and that sort of thing, yeah. uh, which seems um, harmless and then builds up over. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A period of time. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, we recognise that in Women's Aid. We have a, a, a very specific project called Two Into You, which is specifically for the 18 to 25-year-old age group. So we know that abusive behaviours, they start even in, in very um, young and teenage relationships. Um, and that can look like, you know, criticism, isolation, uh, checking, um, physical violence. Uh, stalking. So we know these behaviours can be present in the very earliest relationships and that's why we know it's so important to get in very early and to offer support uh, and to meet the needs of, of all the client groups. Mm-hmm. I suppose to say as well um, Mike, you know, every single woman who presents is different um, They're not. A, it's not a homogenous uh, group mm-hmm. um, and women present, you know, with their own very unique and individual stories and it's very important that supports are there to meet her um, and to intervene with the support that she needs at that moment. Yeah, and we'll give the contact details for Women's Aid for anybody uh, who can identify with what they're hearing this morning because undoubtedly quite a, a lot of women will identify with what they're hearing. Many of them will have sought uh, some assistance from Women's Aid or somewhere else. Uh, many of them won't because uh, one in four women will have uh, experienced abuse of some sort, won't they? Uh, and uh, the figures are far lower than that, uh, despite them being as high as they are. Yeah, well, we know um, we we're, we're only meeting the tip of the iceberg in terms of women who come forward for support. And um, so we know um, probably about a third of women who are experiencing domestic abuse at this moment are coming forward for support. And um, so I would encourage any woman who's listening or anyone who may have a friend or, or a family member or colleague 
who maybe is being subjected to abuse at the moment to reach out to call the helpline, the National Free Phone Helpline on one eight hundred three four one nine hundred. Um, and it's just just to talk through what you're experiencing. Um, there's absolutely no judgment or no pressure to make any decisions. Uh, anything will be done at your own pace. So it's really important just just to even to have validation of what you are experiencing is abuse, um, and to have that confidential, non-judgmental ear can be so important, and and really can be uh, life changing for women. So I would encourage anybody who's listening. To, to reach out for help okay. um, and there's no pressure or expectations yeah. on, on anything really that, that, that the woman does by picking up the call um, sometimes information is power um, so it's really important that women have the information they need to make decisions and to seek help Okay, one eight hundred three four one nine hundred. Are you concerned uh, about young men? Um, uh, the attitudes of young men towards uh, people that they're in relationships with? I suppose we know, um, we can see, and, and our 2 you project shows us that uh, young women are being um, subjected to abusive behaviours and, and to domestic abuse. Uh, so we know there's a lot of work to do still, Mike, um, in the area. Um, and, and this, you know, this project 2 and you is 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 is, mm. uh, is it trendy? In that. Is is it trendy to be abusive to your girlfriend? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I hope. I hope it. I hope well, it's I'm, not I, I, I'm, um, I'm uh, too old to uh, know the names yeah. of, of these social influencers. Uh, but yeah. it, there, there, there is some element to this that it is trendy. That it's uh, some uh, new form of machoism, isn't there? Well, I think. I think you know what's needed is. You know, we're still, you know, surprisingly probably we're still, you know, maybe behind in terms of education uh, around healthy behaviours, around healthy relationships and around consent. But that work is starting. Um, so it's really important that that's adequately resourced and that that can continue um, because we know there is a need out there. Okay, well... There's help at hand. one eight hundred three four one nine hundred 341 is uh, the Women's Aid Helpline. Ivan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Thank, thank you, you very much. Ivan Ward is uh, the Services Manager with Women's Aid. Now, I have to say, we're breaking all records, I think, with the amount of comments coming to us uh, about seagulls. Uh, people sending in photographs, uh, one from Yellow Batter of, I think it's two gulls and a load of crows around the bin eating uh, whatever has fallen out of the bin. Uh, well, sure, why wouldn't they if it's there on the ground for them? Um, and I, I think that probably tells its own story. If you feed the birds, the birds will eat and uh, they're not going to go anywhere. I'm surprised, actually, at the amount of uh, people uh, who are, are uh, offended, if you like, or don't like hearing the idea of uh, culling seagulls uh, and like seagulls and like uh, nature generally. Uh, somebody uh, says, good morning, we should be glad that Cows can't fly. That's Matty and Ardena, I, I take it. Uh, he's uh, talking about uh, that pancake, as Frank Godfrey uh, described, uh, the seagull poo that landed on a woman. Um, somebody else uh, says, please leave Mother Nature alone. We are all God's creatures. Thank you for your WhatsApp message. Uh, another one from Joanne in Navin says, it's so frustrating to have to listen to Frank Godfrey ranting on about the seagulls. 
What does he want done to destroy them? It's just typical Ireland when it comes to wildlife in this country, destroy everything even though their displacement is our fault. Animal cruelty is thriving in this country. Sadly, great to hear Frank wanting to add to it, says Joanne. Uh, another uh, text from somebody who says, the interview about the Golds is a disgrace. Mike Reid should let his guests talk and not keep interrupting and talking over people with his own personal opinions. He should be independent on issues and hear both sides. Not everyone agrees with Mike's opinion. Thank you indeed uh, for that. I think sometimes there's a problem on the phone lines uh, that you go to ask a question, people can't hear it uh, and it sounds like you're talking over them and I'm sorry if it sounds that way. I think it's just part of the thing doing the interviews on the phone. Uh, somebody says, Michael, how many people have been murdered or beaten up by seagulls? Um, zero, I think. I think that was the answer you were expecting. Uh, thank you, Derek, uh, for that WhatsApp message. Uh, somebody else says, Michael, you are right. People are feeding the seagulls big lumps of bread. My drive uh, and <laughs> there's stuff uh, all over everything. Seagull waste, poo, um, uh, words to that effect. Uh, somebody else then in touch who says, uh, people are the problem here. Lazy, dirty people who can't pick up their rubbish or tidy up after themselves. It's the times we live in. People have no respect for anything anymore. Uh, another WhatsApp uh, from somebody who says, uh, they're a danger, Michael. They've attacked kids eating food. We have to duck when they fly down so low to attack. They are bigger than some of the kids here. Well, they're only seagulls um, and they've always been the same size. Uh, someone else says, put a sign up, no seagulls allowed. Uh, I think that was sent to us in jest, but a lot of calls, a lot more, by the way. Uh, we'll try to come to as many of them as possible before the end of the programme. 0419832000, our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. And this weekend, uh, the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs will meet again. It's uh, the third meeting of uh, this particular Citizens' Assembly. They'll be in the Grand Hotel where they will be considering health-led and community-based measures for dealing with uh, the way drugs are consumed in uh, this country. Let's speak uh, to the chairperson of uh, the Citizens' Assembly, Paul Reid, who's on uh, the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, and when you look at examples of health-led and community-based measures. You're going to be speaking to people from Portugal and Austria, which you say lead the way in reducing the harmful impacts of drugs use. How is that when these drugs are decriminalised in these countries? Good morning, Michael. And um, yes, as you mentioned, it is our third meeting. And if you like, we're now starting the process of looking at, you know, some potential solutions that might be applied. If you, if you take the second meeting that we had, it was very much looking at the human impact of individuals on families, on communities, on society in general uh, of illicit drug use, uh, where harm is caused. But now we're beginning to look at what might be the solutions. As you said, we will look at some of the health-led approaches here in Ireland uh, by some of the statutory community voluntary uh, services providers uh, and also looking at international experiences is much quoted um, discussion related relate to Portugal but also we'll be looking at uh, Austria and in following assembly meetings looking at the experience in other in the international countries and administrations about how they've approached it, what's the progress what's been the benefits of changes they've made in decriminalisation or legislation or regulation mm. uh, Is it that 
they've put their hands up and said that the war on drugs has failed. Let's look at an alternative way of dealing with a, a situation where people are taking drugs regardless of the law. Well, yes, I think it's a kind of realistic and pragmatic approach to say that, um, you know, if in in many countries where they've moved to uh, decriminalisation, where they say, look, if you try to treat the individual, particularly in the cases where it may be for just uh, self-possession, self-usage and not distribution. uh, And there there is much confusion around a lot of the language that's used, uh, not here and internationally. So, you know, the differentiation between what legalisation means and decriminalisation might mean, you know, they're very different and very different approaches. So, for example, in Portugal, where they have decriminalised, it's still a penal offence, uh, but they do treat the individual through a health-led approach and get them into services uh, in a very different way than we may. Some of the, to back to your earlier question, you know, what have been the pros and cons of that, that's exactly what we want to do under the bonnet and question some of the people who come across this weekend to present from Portugal and Austria. Uh, there are uh, There is evidence uh, that they have reduced uh, the numbers of deaths related to drugs, which is a very significant issue for us. We have a high level of deaths related to drug usage. Uh, so we will want to examine and explore mm. that a bit further. Yeah, and but there are real less. concerns around legalisation. Sorry, there are mm. real concerns around legalisation around... Uh, you know, Gardaí Khan have expressed them to us at the Assembly. If you legalise, you know, the knock-on potential implications could be, you know, uh, drug tourism and issues that. So there's a, there's many knock-on uh, in intended, intended and unintended consequences uh, from changes made. So we want to mm. evaluate it carefully. Is drugs tourism a bad thing? Well, I mean, there, there's real implications in terms of... Uh, what that might, some, some form of harm that may cause uh, here. And, um, you know, that, that's exactly some of the issues here. From, certainly from the Gardaí Economist perspective, and, and the Assembly will consider all views on this, they've clearly set out to us what the concerns would be related to that. Mm. Uh, some of the harm caused, some of the harms for our health system related to it. But again, the Assembly has taken a very open view to data, and I've been really impressed with the Assembly members how they've evaluated all the information to date and still exploring. But we are moving to, in terms of the assembly process, moving to a very different uh, position now. And, and it's timely, actually, just if I can mention it, the Health Research Health Research Board here in Ireland issued a report just this morning, which shows a very changing nature of drug usage in Ireland. Mm. And when you have a very changing nature and the problem, it does require a very changing and innovation uh, approach to whether it's our legislation or it's our policy or our services. So it is very timely. And when the problem is changing and shifting, so so do we need the solutions. Yeah, yeah I, I think cocaine uh, is uh, of uh, particular concern at the moment. Uh, it's uh, the one uh, drug uh, that people... Uh, need help with more than any other drug, more than heroin, uh, which uh, I think it's crack cocaine, which is particularly addictive, isn't it? Um, but would you have fewer people needing help if you decriminalise that drug? Well, well, just on the drug itself, for we talk about health, cocaine, you're correct, has now overtaken. It's now, now overtaken heroin. It's the most common used drug. It's now one third of the treatment cases here in Ireland. Uh, heroin's number two, cannabis number three. Um, and particularly for the um, you know, if you say the issue of uh, crack cocaine and powdered cocaine distinction, 80% of the addiction 
relate is related to powder cocaine, but increasing use now, 20% relate to crack cocaine, so very different issues. Um, the issue of would it be any easier if you just legalised all use of uh, cocaine? Uh, again, an issue the Assembly members, I, I, I won't take positions on mm. any of this just yet because we have six more, or sorry, we four more Assemblies to get through. Uh, but that's exactly what we reevaluate, you know, pros and cons, yeah. intended consequences, unintended consequences. Yeah, because when you've got such a, an addiction, you have to fund it and it's a very uh, expensive habit and that leads to people breaking into houses and girls becoming prostitutes and then the policing that's uh, involved in all of that uh, as well. I suppose they're the obvious cons. Well, what we did, what we did here from the full assembly meeting, the second assembly meeting just in the previous month, was some of the very significant harm caused. And it was really quite uh, an emotive uh, assembly meeting we had uh, back in May, where we heard some of the real harm caused to individuals, to families, to communities uh, caused by drug uses. Uh, Much of the issues uh, relate to stigmatisation in communities. We do know drug usage is very pervasive across Ireland, and that comes through in today's report uh, from the Health Research Board. Mm. But we also know it hurts marginalised communities uh, much harder. So, you know, it's, it's, it is a very generic problem, uh, but it does hit hard in some communities, particularly those who are in a, a lower socioeconomic class status um, and areas of higher social deprivation. And that can be related to many issues, not just drugs, but investment in services, investment in education, investment mm-hmm. in uh, health services, etc. Okay, people may have uh, read uh, part of Peter Murta's article in the Irish Times. He's travelling around North America on motorbike and he's in British Columbia at the moment and he was visiting a new factory, if you like, uh, that's going to produce cannabis. Uh, They're building the factory for 1.4 million euro uh, and that feeds into the story that he tells of a gold rush or a green rush, as he puts it, uh, because cannabis is the new gold, it would seem, uh, in Canada, and it is unbelievably popular. It's the highest taxed product, apparently, in Canada, uh, which is bringing a a lot of money in uh, for the government. But there's no end to the way that people are consuming it. There was a photograph in the paper of a a bakery, um, and uh, the menu just seemed to be endless. Uh, He writes uh, that you can go into one of the shops there and buy joints, dried flowers, oils, bath bombs, drinks and other oral consumption items like sweets uh, and biscuits. Uh, People are taking it for medicinal reasons, for pain and so on. Uh, And uh, he spoke to to a former Border Patrol police officer, Cameron Derskin, uh, who's now in the cannabis trade. Uh, And uh, he he says... um, is it good for society? Well, time will tell. But the time and energy and money spent on arresting and putting people into jail for something less harmful than getting drunk on a Friday night hasn't been much good either. Uh, that makes a lot of sense logically, does it not? Well, we did hear in the previous Assembly some of the harm that's caused community by criminalisation. So, you know, if people are caught and sometimes a smaller position, if they are brought through the court service, if they are... Uh, criminalised, it, it can knock them into a criminal system for life, and that, that's a big cost. A big cost, sorry, in society, big cost on the taxpayer. Uh, so we did hear some of the harm, and even people who try break out and do break out of addiction still have this criminal conviction hanging over them, which curtails them. So if you like, it gets into a very vicious cycle. 
So there is a very significant vice and a strong vice, uh, and we're getting significant submissions, I've no doubt, mm. uh, which makes a case uh, that in many cases cannabis, um, you know, criminalising uh, people who may use cannabis for, for their own possession, for their own usage, uh, gets people into that vicious cycle. Now, we will hear that view, but we will also hear that view from uh, some addicts, some psychologists mm. uh, of the real harms mm. uh, and evidence mm. of psychosis mm. and what that can lead to mm. for people. Um, and we, there is evidence of, you know, again in today's HRB report of those who are 19 years and under cannabis is the, is the most significant yeah. drug use. Mm. So, you know, we need to consider all aspects But it's of not it. just young people. Uh, sorry, sorry, Paul, it's not just young people. And, uh, and I was just going to mention it to you. I thought that was the most fascinating part of uh, that report from Peter Murta in uh, the Irish Times. He'd be looking at uh, two outlets which sit side by side uh, on Baker Street uh, uh, in uh, Canada. And he, he, was, he talked about the very ordinary people who were shopping there. He said it was a mix of retirees and others in their 60s, middle-aged couples, and he said younger people, perhaps mainly in their 30s. Oh, yeah, and I was merely just giving the evidence from Ireland, if you like, of, yeah. you know, the, if you take 20 to 24-year-olds here in Ireland, the main treatment uh, that's used here is for, uh, applied here is for uh, cocaine in that age groups. In the over 35s, it's, it's opioids and heroin. And then in under 19, it's cannabis. So that's just, you know, evidence from Ireland. But certainly we are looking at, and there is evidence from the US and indeed can, uh, Canada, from approaches that they, they have taken. And they certainly are at more an advanced stage in understanding the evidence uh, now, you know, benefit pros and cons, if you like. Uh, and that's what we will be evaluating. But you know, there, there is a vice, as I've said here, uh, and we will hear that vice. We heard the vice at our last meeting uh, of some people. Uh, we heard it from younger people who feel that they use uh, certain drugs and don't uh, receive harm or haven't experienced harm. Um, you know, so we're hearing a balanced set of yeah. vices. Now you certainly are hearing from a lot of people. How many submissions have you had at this stage? Yeah, at this stage, and, and thanks, thanks for saying that, because I do want to encourage uh, more submissions. Right now, today, we have well over 450, somewhere between 450 and 500 submissions received to date. Uh, the closing date for submissions is before the end of June, so I'd encourage anybody and everybody, both individuals, organisations, communities, voluntary organisations, mm-hmm. to continue to make submissions for us. And the, the one piece I will just add on this one, Michael, is I'm very keen and anxious as chair of the Assembly that we also focus on the services because, you know, a lot of the day can be very publicly and understandably on legislation, regularization, decriminalization. But when you talk to people who are working in the services, their real concern is um, organization of services, alignment of services, issues around dual diagnosis of mental health and drug addiction, mm. uh, issues of funding, issues of, of recruitment. So, you know, I do want to make sure we give, uh, and as part of our terms of reference, a very strong mm. focus on the services, which is exactly what this mm. um, weekend's assembly is about, looking at all of those organizations. And what about, uh, uh, what about uh, services uh, that... Uh, would hope to prevent people from uh, drug use or uh, divert them from uh, a life of crime, uh, which uh, is quite often the case. Uh, seems that quite a, a lot of community work uh, comes along at a, a stage where it's almost too late that you'll never get, you'll never reach the young people who've already strayed, if you like. Yeah, and it's a good point. I mean, as there's, there's good evidence of success rates, and we, the Assembly members, visited uh, Kilmine 
addiction services and also Merchants Key addiction services in Dublin City last month. And there's very strong evidence as people access those services, uh, success rates of people coming through and, and moving their lives on. Um, but we will uh, later um, in September uh, assembly meeting be looking at the whole issue of education and prevention. And that goes beyond the service providers. It goes beyond the, if you like, the statutory bodies like the HSE or Guardia mm. uh, You know, it gets into our education system. It gets mm. into our whole social fabric of awareness, education and prevention. Okay. So that's something we'll be looking at for the later assembly as well. So this this one will look at health ed approaches, lo- local partnerships, treatment, recovery, supports for young people. If you like a flip of the one we looked at last month where it was the individual impact and harm, now we're looking at services and where there are some very good successes and innovation we want to scale up. Okay, well look, thank you for talking to us once again. We'll be watching the events over the weekend with great interest and indeed following the course of your meetings over the coming months and thanks as I say for joining us on the programme. Thanks to you Michael for your continued interest. Thank you indeed. That's Paul Reid who is the chairperson of the Citizens Assembly on Drugs Use. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, thanks uh, to Thelma Tuhi who has emailed us asking us why is there no coverage on LMFM's webpage or in the news bulletins about the jobs being lost in rehab enterprise in Navin. It's a vital part of daily life for the people working there, especially those with an intellectual disability. They've been told today that the 18th of August is their last working day. Uh, This email, as I say, came to us yesterday. Can Michael Reid or someone get onto the local TDs to see what can be done? It's not all about Tara Mines and Navin. This is very worrying for the people involved as it's not as easy as just reskilling or interview prepping. This is a vital lifeline for the workers that are employed there. Thank you indeed, Thelma Tuhi, for the email and bringing it to our attention that the 18th of August now has been earmarked as the last working day. This is for 11 people who have intellectual disabilities who are working in rehab in Navin. And we did have some mention of it last week following questions that were asked in the Dáil. And we'll hear some of those questions now uh, that were raised in the Dáil by two local Sinn Féin TDs, Darren O'Rourke and Johnny Gurk. These 11 people putting them on the live register where they will probably remain and the effect it will have on them and their mental health. Staff received a letter from Rehab Enterprise on the 23rd of May stating, I must advise that your role has been placed at risk. This means that your job is placed at risk of potential redundancy. This will not happen now and we are going to see if there are any other options to prevent this from happening. Minister, there is a small window of opportunity to, to save these jobs and see the smile coming back on the faces of these workers. That is why I would ask you, Minister, to engage with rehab enterprises and see if anything can be done to protect these jobs. In cases like this, it shouldn't, shouldn't always be about the money, but doing is, what is right for people with disabilities. You know, there is real concern at, at, at this site. Um, in the, towards the end of a, a 30-day period of consultation, the staff are working through their union, but they have real concerns and I think legitimate uh, questions. You know, why them? It's a, it's a busy facility. They're very productive but they would say they've been stymied by the fact that they don't have a sales rep. Uh, they've pointed to areas where they see opportunity for cost savings and expansion. 
Um, a number of these are uh, uh, workers are, are people with disabilities. Um, I think there needs to be a, a major focus on holding on to these jobs. Um, um, uh, 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 worse than that, if, if, if uh, there's need to identify different roles in the same building or, or in Navan, I think that's something that that's, uh, could be explored and should be explored. But the, the risk of, of losing these jobs is something I think that, that, that must be um, resisted as, as much as is possible. And, and there is concern, I know, more broadly uh, in relation to um, the rehab enterprises and, and the history there in terms of the delivering of redundancy package at Limerick. Um, so I'd ask the Minister uh, what support uh, he can provide in this case. Right. Uh, that was last Wednesday in uh, the, all those questions about rehab in Navan and uh, the 11 jobs that uh, is feared will be lost. Um, Darren O'Rourke and Johnny Kirk asking those questions. Uh, that's uh, 11 people with intellectual disabilities um, who are about to lose their jobs. Uh, there wasn't a final day, uh, but if Thelma's email is anything to go by, people there have been told now that their last working day will be the 18th of August. And we are talking now uh, about a situation of collective redundancy. Uh, as I say, uh, the Sinn Féin TDs raised this in the doll last week uh, before um, that came about, before that official position. Uh, but this was uh, the response on behalf of government from Minister of State Sean Fleming. And I can confirm that the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment and the Department of Social Protection have not received a collective redundancy notification in relation to the employer uh, mentioned uh, rehab enterprise. It is therefore not possible for the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment to comment on the specific matter because no uh, notification of collective redundancy has been received. However, I do accept that the Department of Trade and Employment is aware of the potential redundancies and it is a huge shock for the employees affected. And as you did say, a letter was issued recently saying people's jobs are potentially at risk and that has to be clearly an early warning signal. Now, I think the deputies will be aware um, also that um, the, the, the Department for Disabilities and my colleague Minister Roderick O'Gorman of the Department of Children, Equality and Disabilities, Integration and Youth and the Department will be glad to liaise um, with each other directly on this matter as quickly as possible now that you've highlighted it here. Um, both the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment and the Department of Social Protection will support the company and the employees in any way they can. I'm informed that a dedicated team from the Department of Social Protection will uh, be made available to work with the employees to ensure access to income support and support them to secure alternative employment. And I recognise the particular nature of the people who work um, in rehab. We have a facility in Port Leash, so I'm very conscious of the similar type of situation that I've visited, and it's not as easy uh, obtain employment for the category of people in those areas. So definitely there will have to be further discussions, I think, with the employer directly rehab industries because of the particular nature of the work carried out. Indeed. That's Minister Sean Fleming. Uh, uh, and on that note, uh, about the nature of the work being carried out and finding a, a, another job or whatever, Thelma also said uh, that the Anxiety levels are now through the roof. Her sister is one of the employees and she says the employees don't care about redundancy or any of that stuff. They just want to go to work. 
Uh, but it, it seems uh, from your message, uh, Thelma, that uh, their jobs will be gone from uh, the 18th of August. Many thanks uh, indeed. Uh, we will hear more on that in the coming days. At least that is our hope as I speak, Thelma. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. John, uh, thanks for your call to the programme today. John wants to know how many refugees does Nick Henderson want us to bring into the country? Are we supposed to keep accepting them until our services, hospital, schools, nurseries and so on are completely overrun and they collapse? We are heading in that direction already and we're also failing to look after those already living here, Irish and refugees, adequately on many fronts. John thinks we need to be sure that we can look after people who are already in the country and make sure everyone has access to the essentials before we accept any more into the country. Thank you indeed, John. Hard to balance that, uh, I think, isn't it, uh, with young girls being raped, as we heard earlier on in Sudan, or people being shot dead because the interpreter something for the Americans uh, in Afghanistan or people um, who have bombs dropping uh, on their heads, <laughs> as the case may be. Uh, Sarah, thanks uh, for your call as well. Sarah is one of the many people who have been in touch. As I say, we've probably broken all records uh, with the amount of comments coming to us uh, today on the phones and text messages uh, about seagulls. She says, surely there's something else that can be done before you consider culling the seagulls. A cull seems very extreme. Uh, She agrees with me that they are majestic birds, but at the same time, they can be a bit intimidating swooping around you when you're out walking. Thanks uh, indeed, Sarah, for your call. Carmel is in Balbriggan. She was on the phone. She says she wishes Michael would give Frank Godfrey a chance to talk because Frank is absolutely right. The seagulls can be an absolute scourge. She says they're a blight in the town of Balbriggan. People can't even hang out clothes or walk down the streets without fear of being pecked or attacked by them. She would fully support any measures to bring their numbers under control because they are a real danger to people. Thanks, uh, Carmel. Uh, for that, uh, Alison Ballsgrove uh, phoned in. She agrees uh, with what I was saying. She says she's a, a nest of seagulls up along her chimney and she says she wouldn't disturb them as they are God's creatures for life. If Louth County Council kept the bins or got them cleaned out regularly, uh, then there wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I think maybe the council has a role in that, but I think all of uh, the people in the town, whichever town you're talking about, also have a a role in keeping the town clean in the same way uh, that we keep our houses clean if we don't want rodents in them. Uh, Here's a good tip for you, actually, from Helen in Trim. Helen's uh, been texting us, and she says, if you spray your rubbish bags with Dettol spray or furniture polish, uh, birds won't touch them. Hmm. Uh, Somebody else says, Michael, clean up West Street. It's not the seagulls that's the problem. It's the people loitering on it that is the problem. Thank you very much uh, indeed uh, as well. Uh, And uh, somebody else, uh, Mary, saying it was great to hear Frank Godfrey on the radio. Felt I was taking the proverbial with Frank uh, because uh, of uh, the position, position I took on seagulls. Thank you, Mary. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr joins us from Navan Garda Station for this week's report. And good morning to you, Garda. And thanks for joining us. We're going to begin with uh, theft from a car. This happened in RD. Yes, good morning, Michael. Last Thursday, which was the 15th of June, between 12 and 12.45 in the afternoon at Super Value in RD, 
a lady reported to the Gardaí that her tax insurance and NCT discs were all taken from her windscreen. Now, the front passenger window of her car was left open as she shopped in SuperValue. Nothing else was taken in this incident. So we are appealing to listeners this morning, perhaps they were in the vicinity of SuperValue or the car park of SuperValue in RD on Thursday last. And it would have been a busy enough time coming up to lunchtime and maybe they noticed a person or persons acting suspiciously. So if anyone has any information, please contact the guards in RD. Okay. Would that be unusual? Um, It would be unusual, yes. It's not often reported to us, but Mm. uh, unfortunately in this case the window was left open, so let that be a lesson to listeners this morning. Okay. We go to Kells next, and two burglaries uh, that occurred in Carlinstown. Yes, again on the 15th of June last Thursday between 11am and 7pm in Newtown, Carlinstown, Kells. The injured party reported returning to his home and finding the rear window of his open and the house ransacked. Thankfully, only minor damage was caused. And again, on the same day, in the same locality, another burglary took place between 1pm and 3pm in Drake Rath, Carlinstown. This injured party reported that on returning to his home, he discovered his front door was forced open and the house again ransacked. Unfortunately, in this instance, a sum of money was taken and there was damage to the front door. So the Guardian Cals are investigating both of these burglaries and would appreciate any help from the public. To Ashburn next, where again you're reporting on two burglaries. Yes, in the early hours of Sunday the 18th, approximately 1am, very similar to the last burglary I just spoke about, <clears throat> the homeowner reported coming home from work and finding his front door had been forced open, the lock lying on the ground, and again the house was ransacked. This occurred at Bourne Avenue in Ashburn. And the second incident occurred on Wednesday the 14th of June between 10am and 11am at Crickstown in Ashburn where an unoccupied house and shed were broken into and a significant amount was taken including petrol, tractor batteries, copper pipes and cylinder, a TV and much more. Mm. So as you can imagine, Ashburn Gardaí are very keen to progress these investigations and any help our listeners might have would be very much appreciated. And as always, there's the Garda Confidential line if people prefer and that's one 800 Travel six, travel one. And I, I suppose there's a lesson in all of that for all of us. Of course, yeah. Mm. And you want to uh, give some tips to our listeners uh, about keeping our homes secure. Yeah, so I have a few tips to give listeners this morning. We've spoken about a number of burglaries today, so there are just a few pointers to help keep your home safe. So whether you're at home or going out, remember to turn on some lights and use timer switches if you're not at home to light up your house. Secure all doors and windows. Store keys safely, and that's away from windows and letter boxes. Record all valuables. Don't keep large amounts of cash at home. And finally, use your alarm even when you are at home. And for further information on this, you can go to www.garda.ie. Thank you very much indeed. Garda Fiona, care of Navin Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in and around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, earlier this morning, we were speaking with Paul Reid, the chairperson of the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs Use. They're about to hold their third meeting in Malahide this coming weekend. At the last meeting of the Citizens' Assembly, there was an awful lot of testimony very very interesting stories given by people uh, who had taken drugs or who had family members uh, who had been using drugs. Let's hear from Katrina Kirwan who spoke at the last meeting of uh, the Citizens Assembly on drugs use Katrina's son was a drugs user and then ended up in prison. To have a family member in prison takes you on a journey which you never in your widest dreams thought you would travel. It caused great stress and shame 
and also caused unjustified judgments on my family. Whilst it brought my family unit closer in one sense, by family I mean grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, the greater Irish family unit as we know it. It brought a realisation that prison wasn't always the answer to this problem. It was just the start of another journey of trying to reclaim our son due to the lack of supports and followed through once out of prison. In prison, he was clean and sober. Once back in the community, he was left with no supports. The journey began again and prison and addiction robbed my family of dreams and aspirations. It caused shame and stigmatised our family unit. Like any loss in life, be it death or even the death of a pet, the same process of grief takes place until you get to the acceptance stage. In this case, separating the person from the addiction and prison and continue to love them unconditionally. In relation to the prison system itself, I advocate on behalf of family members in our organisation, that being Family Support Network. I am a member of the Southeast Family Support Network. And we are asking for it to be reinstated, the contact details of the chaplain services within the prison system. Families are trying to get in contact for up to three to five days to book a visit. In the past, we had the details of chaplain on all prison websites. Whilst we are totally aware of GDPR policy and updated assistant decision-making acts, we are also parents who just want to maintain contact to reassure us that they are okay. This causes and creates anxiety and stress for both prisoners and family members. This visit or call can be the first step in healing of relationships within the family unit. From my own experience, my family member who has been in prison has expressed that whilst in prison, he had a structure and was given his medication once assessed within the prison system. However, that did not follow him through once released. And this created a gap and an opportunity to relapse and reoffend, often creating further chaos and addiction burdens on family and community at all. On speaking with his siblings, they, they expressed that they were lost from the beginning to the end. In relation to entering the waiting area to clothing which was more appropriate to wear, whilst we realise it is prison, the need for a step-to-step -step guide is prevalent to a successful visit. Um, my, my, my children also expressed that it was a daunting and scaring and a hard place to be. Family members have expressed the anxiety of when, to, when they get to prison and the visit has been cancelled, having travelled up to two to three hours to get there with no explanation. Very hard story indeed. Uh, that's uh, Katrina Kerwin telling her story and uh, that of her son's experience uh, as a result of his drug habit ending up in prison. Speaking at uh, the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs last month, the Assembly will meet again over the weekend. Before we leave you today, uh, may I just tell you that there's a 50-metre granite column in Utah with two bronze seagulls on top uh, to remember how the seagulls saved farmers' crops 
crops from locusts in the middle of the 19th century. A bit like how they'll get rid of rats for you. Great creatures. <laughs> That's where we leave you today. God willing, we'll see you for the next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning, goodbye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.